This is exactly right. Welcome to my favorite murder, celebrity hometown version. That's right. We asked our friends that are famous and celebrities (laughs) to talk to us and give us their hometown as a special year-end treat for all our murderino friends out there. We know that regular hometowns are fun, but how about we mix in a little high-level fame? Yeah. That's what George and I were thinking. That's what everyone wants. And today we have a very, very familiar voice to everyone out there that we mm-hmm. get really excited when we hear too. It's our friend from Dateline, Josh Mankowitz. Woo! Let's hear that voice. Stay sexy, don't get murdered. Yes! Wow. Right <laughs> off the bat. I love it. <laughs> Josh. Dateline has been on for 30 years this year. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. Is, How is that possible? Uh, you know, I, this is our 30th season. Uh, it, uh, you know, I joined in 1995, so I'm, you know, kind of a newcomer. You You're know? the new kid on the block. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've only been here 26 years, so, you know. Um, uh, I mean, look, you know, in TV, you know, nothing lasts 30 seasons. No, no. Um, you know, Monday Night Football, Meet the Press. I mean, not not a lot, 60 minutes. <laughs> um, so when I joined, I certainly didn't think I was going to be here 30 seasons later, but I am, and it's been great. You must love what you do. I mean, we love what you do, so hopefully you love what you do. Uh, no, I, I, I love it. I definitely do. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Were you shocked at this, like, kind of true crime wave that has happened recently? I mean, what's that been like for you guys who have been around the whole time? I was completely blindsided by it. It, uh, you know, for the first 10 years that I was at Dateline, from like 1995 to 2005, we weren't doing true crime. And we were doing all kinds of stories, like, like, like five or even six unrelated stories within the hour. Um, all kinds of things. And that was fun. And and then around 2005, 2006, we started making the turn to doing single subject hours, and, and a lot of them were true crime. And originally, you know, when it first, uh, when they first started talking about it, I wasn't interested in it. Really? I, I, was, I didn't really want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my feeling was like the, the police beat is like the thing you do at the beginning of your career, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I had done that. You know, I covered a lot of cop stories when I was when I was young, but I could also tell that this was sort of the direction that Dateline was going in, which was that we were going to start doing more of this stuff. And uh, David Corvo, our executive producer, who was kind of behind this this move, you know, I could tell he really like th- this was this was where we were going, and he thought this was really going to help us. And he also thought there was an audience out there for it, which he turned out to be completely correct about. Yeah, yeah. So I did the first one which was about the disappearance and then subsequent murder of Brianna Dennison in, uh, in Reno. And, you know, I sort of realized what everybody else who's covered this, you know, eventually realizes. I mean, the, the, the things I liked about, about that story were the things I liked about every story, which is that, you know, writing is writing, reporting is reporting, and there's a real important story to be told there. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of got hooked, you know, just the same way the audience did. And now I'm really glad that we've been doing it this long. It's been great. 
Yeah. yeah. You guys give a voice to the the families of victims, which I think is so important. I'm still in touch with her mom. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I have seen you interview people who seem to be involved, <laughs> uh, but are the kind of people who will be interviewed on television to say they're not, and then watch you make the face <laughs> at them. Yeah. Sitting in a prison like interview room. Yeah, I, I suppose I should try to be a little more opaque when I'm interviewing those people. <laughs> no, we're all feeling it. But I'm not good at it. Um, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, not like I'm doing facial isometrics before the interview, no. you know, thinking like, <laughs> right. I'm going to do this, you know. But yeah. yeah, I mean, look, my feeling is that, you know, I was a political reporter for a long time before joining Dateline. And mm-hmm. covering politics and covering crime, like, the, 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 there are a lot of things in common, which is that, you know, the person you're interviewing, the murderer who's telling you, you know, this isn't me, this isn't possible, I couldn't do that, I, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I would never do that, and here's why it couldn't have happened. That's not terribly difficult, but different from a candidate uh, for public office explaining to you <laughs> why you should vote for them and why their opponent uh, is, you know, a lying scoundrel. They're going to change the world. Oh, right, wow. you know, and so, uh, and that doesn't, you know, and you, and in both cases, you let them roll out their their spiel. You know, this yep. is what I think. This is why I'm going to make the tax base better. And this is also why I, the fact that I was found covered in blood and didn't have an alibi, that doesn't mean anything. Yep. And, you know, in both cases, you let them say what they want to say. And in both cases, you have to poke holes in it. And I suppose that when I was covering politics, I also probably had that face. <laughs> I you know, nobody, nobody talked about it, but I probably was doing the same thing. Yeah, Man, I bet you've been in a room with a lot of sociopaths. Yes. Like maybe more than most people yeah. ever. Yes, between be. politics yeah. and, and murder yeah. stories. Yeah. Good God, yes. <sighs> Yeah, they attract some of the same types of people. Do you get like a feeling? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Do you get like a feeling when you walk in the room? Is there like a, yeah. which, is there a tell? We all want to know, like, how can we spot it in the wild, you know? Well, I mean, so many politicians are, you know, liars in one way or another. Um, <laughs> and particularly when they're accused of something, you know, not mm-hmm. just, just not just running, but they are, you know, alleged to have done something something wrong or something improper. And uh, yeah, those interviews are not terribly different from the ones we do on Dateline with the, with, with the defendants. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But, you know, in both cases, I mean, the rules are the same. Like, they get to say what they want to say, and we get to, we get to poke some holes in that. And that's that's the fun of both those jobs. Yeah. Is there a number, like a small amount of those convicted that you actually believed didn't do it? Or is it kind of across the board? No, there are, uh, there are a couple of people. And because I have covered these stories and I need to, uh, uh, I may need to cover them again. I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah. But over the years, I'm going to say there are, a, and I, when I say handful, I mean literally a handful, like probably less than five. Uh, wow. defendants who I've thought, I could not have voted to convict this person. Wow. That doesn't happen very often because usually by the time people get into court for that trial, there's some significant evidence against them. Yeah. Uh, but there are a couple of cases and there, and the thing that, um, the thing that connects those defendants, I would say, 
is that they are unlikable people and that that is that either they are unlikable or their conduct is particularly unlikable. And when juries start disliking you because you cheated on your wife or you always spoke to her in, a, in, a, in an insulting, demeaning manner, that kind of thing sometimes can overwhelm or, or, or be just as important as the actual forensic or literal or, or, or eyewitness evidence against you. And so in some cases, the people who were convicted that I thought, eh, I'm not sure, were guys who had done something unlikable. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the jury, um, I thought, kind of voted as much on that as they did on the evidence. But, you know, whichever way it goes, that's the story we do. And, um, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. you know, we, well, I mean certainly we're going to mention all of that. But, you know, uh, you know, I don't get a vote. The jury does. And as we know from all the stories that you guys have done and that we have done, like the jury doesn't always hear everything. Yeah. My stance from here on out as a politician is that Josh Mankiewicz should be the sole judge and jury for every trial. <laughs> you should well, get a say is what I'm saying. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, it's just you and Keith Morrison up there on that, yeah. in that judge's just bench. Just the two of us, yeah. Just look, Ooh. we know this stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. Interview me, yeah. interview me. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Keith would say, I find you guilty, or do I? <laughs> and I'm going to yeah. lean on it. Yeah. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder and here's the important note that promo code is 
all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Well, on that note, sure. now we're like kind of in the mood, in the like spooky mood of like crimes and stuff. Do you want to tell us whatever it is your hometown is, but it could be, <laughs> it's a really loose term these days. Yes. Yeah. So the story first interested you or whatever it is. Well, the story that first got me interested in true crime, and it carried me for a, a number of years and in ways which I'll explain, was essentially, well, I don't know. You might call it a cold case. No one was ever put on trial. The supposed killer died before trial ever began. The person who killed the supposed killer uh, never made it to trial. Uh, and this has remained probably the biggest mystery, the biggest murder mystery of my lifetime. Uh, it's the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was seven years old. Uh, I was, uh, we, we, we were living in Peru because my dad, who'd worked for President Kennedy uh, in 1960 and had then been um, appointed director of the Peace Corps in Peru, the inaugural class there, uh, we were living in South America. And we were not even home in Lima, Peru at the time. We were up in the mountains in a town called Arequipa. And that's significant because Arequipa, I believe, didn't have the capability, or at least where we were, didn't have the capability to to make an international phone call. So the information that we were getting that day was coming from a shortwave radio. I very distinctly remember people clustered around like like a ham radio. Uh, They were calling Lima trying to get more information because like, you know, what you would do now right now is you'd fire up the internet. But even back in the 1960s, you know, you'd call somebody in the United States and say, what's on TV? What is, and, and we didn't even have that. So it was, uh, uh, information came out very slowly, but it was the, uh, it was the first time I ever saw my dad cry. Mm. Uh, I'll never forget that. Um, and of course it was the beginning of this giant mystery. The Warren Commission uh, sort of officially investigated it in 1964 and came to the conclusion 
that Lee Harvey Oswald had done this and he acted alone. And almost instantly, uh, the official version was challenged by a number of people who seemed to know what they were talking about. Uh, and I remember reading about that um, in, the, in the newspapers in, in, in the mid-60s as the criticisms of the Warren Commission began and started growing. Now, the interesting thing about this is that a lot of today's conspiracies, you know, the, the government is poisoning us with the chemtrails from the planes. Uh, Bill Gates is, uh, you know, charting our movements from the, uh, from the COVID vaccine. Uh, you know, the election was rigged. A lot of that crazy stuff has its roots in, in the Kennedy assassination. Not in that story, but in that perception that sort of took hold in the 1960s that the government's not telling you the truth, mm -hmm. that there are secrets out there that are being concealed from you. I'm not a big conspiracy guy, but, um, and, and in fact, I can't think of too many other conspiracy theories that I do believe, but the official version of the Kennedy assassination sort of never made sense to me, mm -hmm. um, just yeah. the way it never did to a lot of other people. Now, I kept brushing up against this story in my life. Not only did I read a lot about it at the time, I remember devouring uh, William Manchester's book about President Kennedy's life, uh, or his presidency called A Thousand Days. Um, but when I went to college, I went to Haverford College outside of Philadelphia, and one of my professors there was a guy named Josiah Thompson. I obviously didn't know this when I went to, when I went to college. He'd written a book. He was one of the original Warren Commission critics. And he'd written a book called Six Seconds in Dallas, which you can still find, which, by the way, is a great book. Mm. And he talked a lot about sort of how the official version of events didn't make sense and why. Um, and I'm not going to bore you with getting into the minutia of this, but it's because it's easily possible to spend three, four, five hours talking about the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of the different theories or what's wrong with the official explanation. But I remember thinking, you know, wow, uh, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing about this and I'm thinking about this and reading, uh, reading Professor Thompson's book and talking with him. And then uh, after I got out of college, I went to work for ABC News. And one of my early jobs was I was covering Capitol Hill for them um, behind the camera as, a, as what's called an off-air reporter. And as part of that, I covered the House Select Committee on Assassinations which was established in 1976 and which finally issued its report uh, in 1979 after some lengthy and very well-publicized hearings about both the King assassination and the JFK assassination. And the committee was all set to sort of, in some ways, ratify the commission, the, the, the Warren Commission, by saying it looked like it was just one guy. When they got this very persuasive audio testimony, sort of forensic audio analysis by this... Uh, by these two guys who came in, who analyzed a tape that was made of the police radio transmissions at the moment that the shots were being fired in Dealey Plaza. And they were pretty persuasive. Now, anybody listening to this who knows about this is also going to know that, that those findings were called into question later by other, uh, other analysts. Uh, this has been a long time. This story has, you know, as I say, you could take a thousand days to tell this story. Um, so I'm aware of the criticism of that. But I will tell you that when I heard that, it was... It was pretty persuasive. And uh, you know, there were certain things about the official version that never made any sense. The so-called single bullet theory, the idea that, the, that Oswald fired a shot that went through President Kennedy and then went through Governor Connolly and you know, right. like, like broke a rib and shattered his wrist and then lodged in his thigh and then somehow 
rolled off of a stretcher in Parkland Hospital a couple hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about pristine. It's a very good firearms analysis match to the mail order gun that Mr. Oswald bought to shoot the president with. So no, it's it's a perfect match back to that gun. And it's it's one reason why it's a big underpinning of the theory that Mr. Oswald did it and he acted alone. It's very hard to replicate a bullet that pristine having gone through two people. Because frequently mm-hmm. in Dateline and lots of other cases, police can't get a firearms analysis match from a bullet that's been fired into a person because it's too mashed up. So they rely mm-hmm. on other other ways of, of doing it. So that always, uh, I, I thought a lot about that over the years. And sort of the more I knew about, you know, forensic analysis, the more I sort of did that, uh, that kind of work, it, it, it reminded me of that. And then there's one more thing. After he left the Peace Corps, my dad went to work for Robert Kennedy. He was Bobby's press secretary from 1966 until till the minute he was killed in June of 1968. And lots of people, as you might imagine, came to Bobby Kennedy with their own theories, some of which were crazy, some of which were probably not crazy, some of which seemed to have some validity to them. And they all said, you know, I know what happened and I want to help you out. And here's what, I'm pretty sure I know what happened to your brother. or I know who was waiting for him there in Dallas. And Bobby Kennedy did not want to deal with any of those people. I bet. And so he appointed someone on his staff to sort of act as the catch-all for all of that information to talk to those people. And that person was my dad. Wow. And so, really? And so, <sighs> and so these assassination theorists, some of whom were nuts and some of whom were not, like came over to our house. I remember a guy <laughs> came over to our house once and he had giant grainy blow-ups of the area around what's called the Grassy Knoll in Dallas, which was an area where a lot of people thought they heard gunshots. Um, And he had these photographs of that area at that time, so big you could sort of see the pixels in the frame, and he carried one of these giant photos across the street and set it up on our neighbor's lawn across the street. (laughs) And we all stood in the living room, and and he's like, so what do you see? He yelled at us from across the street. And what you saw very clearly was a guy with a gun oh, or shit. a tree oh. branch, depending oh. <laughs> on depending on on where you sit. Right. But I mean, you know, did he have something there? Yeah, he had something that that was certainly plausible. Uh, and there were a lot of these people over the years that came by and had all kinds of interesting different theories. So. When I covered the House Assassinations Committee and they came up with a conclusion at the end of their hearings that the president was killed by more than one shooter and that that there was some kind of conspiracy, they didn't know what it was. They just said it wasn't the Soviet government. They said they didn't think it was the Cuban government. They left open the possibility that it might have been organized crime. But they basically said they, they, they weren't sure, except they were confident that the that the official version wasn't correct. And then later, of course, it's turned out Uh, Now we're going down the road some years later. It's turned out that the CIA and the FBI were not in any way cooperative with either the original investigation by the Warren Commission or by the subsequent investigation by the House Assassinations Committee. As you might expect from the CIA and FBI, they held a lot back. And what was that? We don't know. Uh, Some of those records from the Assassinations Committee haven't been um, 
haven't been uh, looked at and I think are sealed for like 50 years or something. But uh, that remains an enduring mystery. And I kept brushing up against it again and again and again, you know, through my dad and then at college and then with my first job covering Capitol Hill. So, you know, I, I was already interested in it. And then I ended up sort of learning more and more about it just because it was, you know, it, it was always right there in front of me. And uh, so when I started covering true crime all those years ago, um, that was kind of a good fit with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that is the ultimate hometown, really, because right. it was in a lot of ways for people back then, it was everyone's hometown. That, yeah. You know, this kind of right. complete reality shift for everyone alive in America uh, you know, all Americans that basically went through something that was unimaginable like that. And then to just be in a place where you would be entertaining what the possible truths of it were or like right. what the facts. One of the enduring theories of the JFK assassination was that there was a guy with an umbrella uh, who carried an umbrella in Dealey Plaza on a sunny day. Yeah. And he oh. puts up the umbrella, um, uh, which was seen to many as, you know, some kind of signal, like, here we go, yeah. you know, commence yeah. firing. And the Assassinations Committee, I thought, did a very good job. They found that guy, and all these years later, and they brought him in, and he talked about what he'd been doing, which had nothing to do with any assassinations plot. He was, uh, it was supposed to be a symbol of, um, I believe, Neville Chamberlain. He was accusing Kennedy of appeasement. Uh, in the same way that, that, that Neville Chamberlain, I think, had been accused of uh, of being soft on uh, Nazi Germany and the Axis powers. And mm. uh, and and the umbrella was meant to evoke uh, Chamberlain, as I recall. So it turned out that it wasn't anything, but it was a great piece of history just yeah. to have debunked right in front of my eyes there in the in a house hearing room. They never found the woman in the scarf. Is that the is that right? There's a scarf. woman in a scarf in the oh, no. in like a headscarf like that. Yeah, in the Zapruder films, and they never found yes, her. Right, right, right. Well, the Zapruder film, like you know, first of all, today, like somebody takes a uh, somebody takes a shot at the president. Like you're not going to need a haberdasher, which is what Abe Zapruder no. <laughs> was, to provide a record of history. Like. Every network's going to be there. There's and yeah. there's going to be all this security footage from all the cameras yep. around, and everybody in the crowd's going to be on their iPhone. Right. You have too much video. But the idea right. that like then there's no record of this incredibly <laughs> important event in American history except a guy who happened to take a home movie. Um, yeah, there could have uh, been none if he hadn't just happened to could be easily there, have you know? been none. Yeah. But yeah. wait, was that the standard back then that like if the president was there, you know, like kind of uh, that that no news stations would have gone down to get it? No, no, no. But the idea that like they would have been they would have been recording all the way through the motorcade. That uh, didn't I happen then. Got um, it. You know, back then. Sure, there were there were press with him. There was traveling press with him. But it was the press bus was all the way at the end of the motorcade. And. There were crews there, TV crews, but they would have had film cameras just like Mr. Zapruder had, maybe a little better than his. And there were crews set up at the trademark where the president was going. So, I mean, there was a lot of coverage back then of sort of scheduled events, like the president's speech to the, to the trademark that afternoon. But there wasn't a lot of coverage of, you know, we want to be rolling just in case 
what might happen. And, you know, you go, uh, you know, you go forward in history. I mean, you know, look at all the videotape there is of the uh, of the Reagan uh, attempted assassination. But before that, um, there's video of of both Sarah Jane Moore and Squeaky Frome taking uh, shots at or trying to take shots at President Ford. You know, you didn't have to rely on, there's news film of that. You didn't have to rely on citizens taking home movies. Yeah. So you must have, and maybe it changes all the time, but you must have your own pet theory that you love. You know, there are, there. I mean, as to what I really think happened, the official explanation for reasons which I was talking about earlier of the single bullet theory, that never made any sense. Mm-hmm. And to believe that, you have to believe things just because you want to believe them. You have to believe that Governor Connolly was shot, but he doesn't show any reaction to it for a little while. Yeah, He's shot with the same bullet, but but you don't see him react in time. You have to believe there was a delayed reaction. When people turn and look at the stockade fence, uh, the grassy knoll, you have to believe that Dealey Plaza is an acoustical freak and that they were looking at that because of the echoes, not because they actually heard gunshots coming from right over their shoulder. Mm. So uh, for those reasons alone, I was sort of, you know, kind of discounted uh, the official explanation. You also have to believe that, you know, Jack Ruby, um, this like, you know, creep of a guy Mm -hmm. um, who... uh, you know, owned a owned a strip club and used his his sort of uh, the, the fact that the, a lot of cops in Dallas knew him um, used uh, used that to sort of get into the area where Oswald was being transferred. The Jack Ruby, this guy who'd never had a moral thought in his entire life, <laughs> was suddenly so outraged at what happened to President Kennedy that because he felt bad for Jackie Kennedy, I think is what he said, that he wanted to kill the man who had killed the president. Like, and he happened to just have terminal cancer. That always seemed like too easy to me in the same way that that bullet rolling off the stretcher seemed too easy. Mm -hmm. But what was really going on? I do not pretend to know. I don't. (laughs) Um, Is it possible that it was organized crime? Yeah, it's possible. Is it possible that it was, uh, you know, anti-Castro Cubans who thought that Kennedy was moving in the wrong direction? Sure. Uh, But could it be neither one of those things? It could be. But the only thing I've been convinced about over the years is that the official story wasn't the correct story. Yeah. Do you think that Oswald was a patsy or do you think he actually was involved but under someone else's command? I, I'm, it strikes me as unlikely that he had no involvement at all uh, or that he was like framed for this. I mean, he said he was a patsy early on. I'm being set up. Mm-hmm. I'm a patsy, he said, um, uh, around the time he was uh, he was arrested. Also, imagine today letting the guy who's been accused of uh, killing the president, like, you know, 24 hours earlier, give a press conference, even a yeah. little brief, <laughs> even a little brief one in the police station. Like, I mm. just don't see that happening. Mm. But yeah, I, I, was he involved in some way? Yes, I think he probably was involved in some way. Okay. Uh, exactly what way, I don't know. And his, his background, his history is so weird and so murky. And it, it may well be his. It may well be the reason why the CIA doesn't want to say anything about, uh, or, or wasn't as forthcoming as they should have been with both the Warren Commission and the House Committee because they they they'd had some interactions with him previously. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think he probably had something to do with it. Yes, very interesting. Wow, wow. this could be a a, a thousand days yeah. uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it easily. really is fascinating. Or you need to easily. write a book about this. Yes. Like I would read uh, this immediately. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, all right. I, I feel like there's probably enough <laughs> books written about this, but because uh, <laughs> there must be. Because I mean, there got to be fifty of them, right? I yes. Mean, come on. Well, I want to read the one you mentioned that your professor wrote. That sounds yes. Uh, six seconds in Dallas. Very that good. Uh, I I, cool. I bought it on Amazon a couple of years ago because um, I'd lost my original copy, but yeah, it's still out there. Right. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Josiah wow. Thompson is the is the author. Yeah. Okay. I mean, great one. Yeah. Great that was killer. Great Pretty job. major. We're not surprised. No. This is very this is very Josh Mankowitz of you to yes. have that as your hometown. <laughs> I know. I know. It really is. Yeah. I, it is. You know, I thought about which crime I was going to talk about. I, I did, and I thought about some crimes actually that I covered when I was in local news in uh, in Washington D.C. and then later uh, when I was Long Island correspondent in New York. Um, but uh, uh, this won out. The, the Kennedy assassination won out. You know, the Oliver Stone movie uh, that came out, which was, you know, not a documentary. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a dramatic film. So, you know, let's mm-hmm. not take it as historical record. But the one thing about it that I just loved so much was the tagline, which was the story that won't go away, which is what yeah. this is. It's what it's always true. been. And for people of a certain age, my age, um, yeah, it's the story that won't go away. And it does make sense that because so many people went through trauma like that, it's very easy to convince people the government's against you, the right. gover- that kind of right. idea of like— They're all lying to you. And I yeah. mean, you know, it wasn't long after that that, you know, that the, that the right wing in this country began this, you know, now more than 50-year campaign against— Academics against truth, against knowledge, against journalists, against teachers, against scientists. You know, they're all lying to you. Well, the reason that those arguments work is that a lot of people of all political stripes really did think the government was lying to them starting in 1964. Yeah. Wow. With good reason. Yeah. That's a fascinating take. Man, Josh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you both. I I really thank you both. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Uh, everyone, make sure, of course, to watch Dateline Fridays, 9, 8 Central and NBC, and check out all of Josh's. Oh, what are you, on Twitter, you're at Josh Mankiewicz? At Josh Mankiewicz, yes. Yeah. He's the best. He's my favorite follow on Twitter. Oh, I know. I love it. Just some pretty consistent um, good times, but then there's also the hard-hitting information yeah. that I personally need. <laughs> that I'm like, ooh, I better, I'm going to read that article. Yeah. You, I mean, I would say... Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do both. I do both. I do both. You do? Both hard-hitting and, and although lately it seems like the, uh, the amusing, the, the hard-hitting stuff's about as hard to find as a dress with pockets, if you know what I mean. <laughs> hey. I think you do. Hey, come on now. Um, always got to be on the but, search uh, for that. Yeah, always. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, Twitter's a lot of fun. I didn't want to do Twitter either. NBC talked me into that. It turned out to be oh, fun. Yes. Glad they did. We thank NBC for that because, That's right. and also every once in a while, you're just you just kind of rib Keith Morrison or oh, like yeah, well, people will write they'll write something about to Dateline. Please don't ever do this. And then Josh comes in with like, "Don't worry about it. We're you know yeah. Keith, Keith will be on the case uh, forever. So or much, whatever. So much fun. Yeah, it's great. No. It's great. And it brought. Uh, we're just. We're just happy you're in our world because we're very honored that you hang out with us sometimes. Thank you so much. It's been great. Great, great to see you both. You too. I still wear my Dateline hat that you gave us at the live show. Proudly, (laughs) proudly wear it. Good, 
Good. <laughs> yeah. Thank Represent. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for representing. Yeah. Thank you for being here on our celebrity hometown edition. Josh Mankiewicz. Josh Mankiewicz, everyone. Thanks, guys. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our associate producer is Alejandra Keck. Engineered and mixed by Andrew Eben. Send us your hometowns at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. For more information about the podcast, live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. Goodbye.